chapter 14, remain standing with me for just a few more moments. Luke chapter 14, we're going to begin in verse 25. It's part two of a message I started a couple weeks ago. And I want to continue on in that same vein, in the same part. Because I truly believe that God has called us to not raise up church attendees. Not to raise up people who can warm a pew or warm a seat, but to raise up disciples in the heart of the bay. Luke chapter 14, verse 25, if you have it, say, mm-hmm. Large crowds were traveling with Jesus and turning to them, he said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate father or mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. Now, just right there alone, I'm going to tell you right now. That verse alone will empty half of the churches in America. Can I be honest? That verse, just that verse, you would definitely look at Pastor Jesus and go, he's not a pastor, right? Because that's a harsh saying, but we're going to talk about that. Then in verse 27, and whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule, ridicule you saying this person began to build and wasn't able to finish. Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Won't he first sit down and consider whether he's able to, with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he is not able, he will send out a delegation while the other is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. Salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is fit neither for the soil nor for the manure pile. It is thrown out. Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. Before you're seated, shake your neighbor's hand and tell them, you are so salty. <laughs> Then you may be deceited. I've entitled this message, Disciple Me 5. My kids watched a movie just a few weeks ago. They've been watching it pretty much every year. One comes out called Despicable Me. But today, I've entitled this message, Disciple Me. Disciple Me. Five, And the reason why five is because there's five marks of a disciple that Jesus talks about right here. And we're going to talk about them. Five marks. Five true hallmarks of what we, what we see a disciple is, or should I say a disciple isn't. And this is what Jesus was talking about. Somebody say, disciple me. One more time. Say, disciple me. It's funny how you and I come to church and we may think the moment I'm saved, I am a disciple. But I want you to know something. There's no such thing as an instant disciple. 
Disciples take time. Congregants, all it takes is two hours of your time. You could be a congregant like that. But to be a disciple, it takes time. One more time, somebody say, disciple me. Somebody say, disciple me. I shared this a few weeks ago how there was a, a Russian comedian. I don't know if you remember him. His name was Yakov Smirnov. You remember him? And he had visited the country some time ago. And he tripped out on how everything here in America was instant. He went to the store and he saw powdered juice. All you had to do was add water and poof, you got instant juice. said, wow, that's pretty good. You went down the other aisles, and he went, and he saw powdered milk. He said, all you do is add water, and poof, you get milk. Then he began with another observation. He goes, wow, this country, you guys got baby powder. All you do is add water, and poof, you make babies. The funny thing is, is that sometimes we in church, those of us that come to church in a religious fashion, we think, Wow, all I got to do is get baptized, and poof, I'm a disciple. We think the same thing, but I want you to know something here today. I pray that each and every one of you add water to your life. You get baptized. You need to get baptized. But my friend, more than the baptism, I want you to be a disciple, a man or woman that goes after the things of God. I know it may be tough. I know it may be hard, but I want you to know something. God will give you the strength that you need to be that man of God, to be that woman of God that just says, hey, I don't come to church just to look at the church, but I come to church to be the church. I am the church. And I want the indwelling of the Holy Ghost because I am a disciple of God. If you believe that, give the Lord a hand of praise. See, my friend, disciples are made. They're not born. Disciples are made. They're not born. And in this portion of Scripture, we look at these harsh or intense images of what Jesus teaches about the lessons of discipleship. Now, this is very, very important there are different levels that we see here with Christ that he shares about this discipleship and we're going to look at these intense images because if you look at this and I shared it at the very beginning these images are so intense I believe that they would empty half of the churches of America today that's how intense these images are carrying a cross going to war being salty, not being salty, hating your family. Like, this is crazy. Who in the world would say anything like that? Now, I want to say this before I get into this message. This is very important because a lot of times you hear things, especially in social media of today's day and age, you hear things about pastors and you hear things about ministers, especially traveling pastors, traveling ministers, traveling evangelists. And you get a bad taste from somebody else's experience. I want you to know right now, don't take their experience for your taste. I'm going to say that. I want to be very clear. Don't take their experience for your taste. People talk bad, and I'm just going to say his name because people talk bad about him. And, you know, look, you can have your own opinion about him, whatever you want. But Pastor Joel Olstein, okay, I'm just going to say it because a lot of people talk bad about him. I'm going to say this. Don't talk bad about another man of God. Don't do that. Don't do that. That's being unsalty. I already went to my point. Gosh darn it. I know I got ahead of myself, but still, I say that because I see it far too often, especially in social media. 
And social media, I see it out there. Beware of wolves in sheep's clothing, right? A lot of people use that scripture, right? A lot of people use that. They go, oh, beware of wolves in sheep's clothing. You want to know what's heavy about that scripture? The Bible says, beware of wolves in sheep's clothing. What does that mean? It means the people that you need to be aware of you're sitting next to. They're sheep. It doesn't say beware of wolves in shepherd's clothing. Beware of, of wolves in sheep's clothing. Now, again, I'm not saying all pastors are perfect by all means, by any stretch of the means. I'll, I'll be the first to tell you pastors are not perfect. Amen, pastor. You right on it for that one. Pastors are not perfect at all. But what I'm saying is that you got to be very, very careful. Because if you're not carrying your own cross, don't get mad when somebody else is trying to bear theirs. Be very careful with that. This is discipleship. I know some of you right now, oh, man, Pastor, you went right for the jugular. Amen. I'm going right for it because I don't want just congregants. I want disciples. I want men and women of God that say, I want to be a disciple after God's own heart. Can I hear an amen? Now, really quickly, I just want to give you the three that I went over last week just to review, and then we're going to get into the other two. But really quickly, the first mark of a disciple is the family mark. Somebody say family. Somebody say family. Now, what's very important with this one, he says that you have to be able to hate your own family. Matter of fact, he says you've got to hate your own self. You can't love your own self. Now, I shared this word. Now, and you have to understand this word. A lot of theologians believe that Jesus was giving in a hyperbole. A hyperbole is an over-exaggeration of something. In other words, if I've told you once, i told you a million times. How many times do I have to tell you? I've told you a million. Now, let's be honest. Let's get technical. Have you really told him a million times? No. It just feels like that, right? It's a feeling. I told you a million times. Did you really tell me? I only heard you tell me once. Well, in our minds, like, once is enough. But Jesus is saying, look, what else do I got to tell you? You got to love me more. Matter of fact, look, at you're not even getting the point that I'm telling you to love me more than everybody else. So this is the best thing. You got to hate your family. Dang, that's messed up. Well, you're not getting it. I need you to understand this. In other words, what Christ is saying is that you need to love me above everything and everyone, even above yourself. If I'm not number one, your priorities are out of whack. That's what he's saying. If I, Jesus, am not number one, it doesn't matter what you have in any order. Two through a hundred doesn't even matter. Because if I'm not number one, everything is out of whack. You and I must understand, listen, I know you love your mom. I know you love your dad. I know you love your son. I know you love your daughter. But the one that you need to love even more than them is Jesus himself. He is the way. He is the truth. And he is the life. If you want eternal life, it's not going to be in your bank account. It's not going to be in your carport. It's not going to be in your house. The only way to get through eternal life to heaven is through Jesus Christ. And he wants to be number one. Make him number one. Tell your neighbor, make him number one. See, the thing about it is that when he's talking about this family, Mark, is that he's telling you, you need to make a choice. The thing about it is that, and you've heard this term before, right? Fam, uh, family, and fr family you cannot choose, friends you can choose. 
Right? You can't choose your family. Whatever you were born into, you were born into. And some of you, you were born into a whole lot of crazy nuts in your family. And some of you, even when you talk about your family, you're like, yeah, it's just my family. Oh, God, it's my family. You didn't have a choice with that. The thing about it is because we use the term of a great, uh, holy, respectful term of father, right? We use that term, he's the father. So a lot of times when we say God the father, you still have family in your head. And for some of you, you have a bad taste when it comes to family. And so you're like, oh, man, do I have to? Well, that's the thing. You don't have to. You should want to. You should want for God to be your everything. That's what he's saying in this mark. Make God number one. The second one was the cross mark. A cross mark. A real disciple is able to live like a dead person. A real true disciple is able to live like a dead person. See, the, the word here that we come across is the word cross, and the cross symbolizes death. So if you're going to be a disciple, you must be able to die to yourself. You have to be able, if you cannot die to yourself, being a disciple is going to be very difficult. You know, one of the things I love about our men's home, that's what I love, that, that makes us very distinct especially as victory outreach. Now, I personally never went through the home. I'm not a product of the home. I'm a byproduct of the home. Catch that one. Put that in your pocket. That's going to be in your next generation or generation. They're going to use that same term. Trust me. That's what you want. You don't want to produce products of the home. You want byproducts. You could take that. That's yours. Put it right there. Right? Like Art, he's got byproducts. That's what Art has. He's got byproducts. I'm a byproduct. But what I love about the home that makes us very distinct is that the moment you walk into the home, we ask you a bunch of questions, right? Do you have ID? Do you have this, that? But then right away, before you even put your head down on the pillow, we, sit, we tell you, and this is free. It's a free place. You can come and go. If you don't want to stay here, then go. But we make sure, because this place is free, in order to stay, you must be able to die to yourself. Because if you're not willing to die to yourself, this place is not for you. Because if you want to please yourself, well, then go to the Connections House. Right? That's what makes us different as Victory Outreach. Because everything is free. Even discipleship, it's free. But it's going to cost you yourself. And that's what he's saying here. He says, look, if you cannot carry your cross, I don't know if this is for you. Because everything I have to give you is free. You, it's not going to cost you anything but you. It's going to cost you. So as a disciple, you must be able to carry your cross. Look at your neighbor and say, carry your cross. And, if, and I'm going to give you just a few scriptures. In Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, he says, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. This is the Apostle Paul. In Galatians 5, 24, those who belong to Christ, Jesus, have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. Galatians 6, 14, may I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. In other words, if the world looks prettier to you than God, you have not been able to carry your cross yet. You're still not dead. You're still partly alive. 
Because if the other stuff of what the world has to offer looks better than God, you're not carrying your cross. You may have a cross, but to carry it, all that's, it must be dead. I, I can't remember exactly what a movie it was, but there's a very famous line, right, where I think it was his son or his brother came to him and says, you're dead to me. You're dead to me. Uh, yeah, that's what it was. All right. But basically in that line, what he was saying, look, you're my family. Where's it? But from here on out, whatever you do doesn't matter. I don't care. What Christ is saying here is that you must be able to hear and see the things of the world and say, I don't care. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter to me. Oh, but look, you could come over here and get rich quick. Doesn't matter. I don't care. Here comes the enemy. Oh, look, you could just get married, married real, real quick. You can get married. Who cares? You know, don't worry about all that stuff. We'll take care of that later. Nope, doesn't matter. I don't care. I want a man of God, not a man of the world. Different, different mindset. What Christ is saying here is you must be able to carry your cross. Now, this is the great thing. When you learn how to carry, then you are going to learn how to be blessed. You're going to see blessings in a whole different way. The third thing that we see here was the tower mark. Somebody say tower. See, this is the cost of discipleship. In other words, you must be able to look at and see, sit down and say, okay, I'm going to be able to count this cost because if I'm going to get saved, I'm going to go all the way. If I'm going to get, see, that's one thing I love even about the ministry that we have here. It's because we say, man, you know what, look, if you're going to get saved, go all the way. If you're going to do it, do it. Just don't jump in with one foot and be like, well, let's, I'm just going to kind of go to church. I'm going to chest it out. And if the pastor says hi to me, then I'm going to keep coming. But if he doesn't say hi, then I'm out of here. Like, no, 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 no. Look, it, don't base your salvation on the pastor. I'm going to tell you right now. Look, I, can, can I be honest with you? I'm just going to be transparent. I'm going to let you down. You know what? And I'm, I'm probably going to hurt you. Right, Rachel? I was mad at Rachel the other day. Can I be honest? I was mad. I was mad. I don't get mad. I think that's probably the third time I've ever been mad since I've been a pastor. I can actually remember the amount of times I've been mad. That's crazy, huh? I was, I was mad. I was like, oh, she made a mistake. Urgh. But this is the thing. I was upset, but it didn't change my love for her. I still love, and she felt, I know she felt it. Oh, my God, Pastor's mad at me. You know, I know she felt it. But the thing is that I want her to feel my love more than she felt my anger. God's anger burned against his very own children. Did you know that? But the thing about it is that he still fulfilled his promise even though he was mad. That doesn't change. It's, it was still there. So this is the thing. You have to be able to count the cost because every once in a while, you are going to get mad at God. Why? Why did this? Why me? Why not her? Why not him? You must sit down and count the cost. It's a part of it. Not everything is going to go according to your plan. 
So that's why right now you must sit down, count the costs, and know that, hey, no matter what happens in my life, I am still a disciple of God. I'm still a man of God. No matter what happens, no matter what comes against me, no matter what people say, I am still a disciple of God. And some of you here today, listen, you got to get this in your spirit. No matter what happens, count the cost, but you're still a disciple. You're still a man of God. You got to look in the mirror every once in a while and say, yeah, I'm still a woman of God. I'm still a man of God. No matter what, I counted the cost and I'm a man of God. Can I hear an amen? See, the thing about this mark in particular is that he's saying, look, if you're going to start well, finish well. Just don't be a good starter. Be a good finisher. Finish till the end. Just don't take a man. Oh, that was a good guy. I don't know what happened to him. Oh, man, she was a good girl. I have no idea. No, be a finisher. Now, this is the great thing about those of you that maybe didn't even start well. You can still finish well. You can still finish well. Oh, that, that should be some good news to some of you here today. That you still got time to finish well. Can I hear an amen? Now, the fourth one that we see here is the war mark, the war mark. Now, in this image, Jesus describes, describes two kings. One is outnumbered, so he wisely approaches the stronger king and makes peace before the battle ever begins. See, my friend, what the image that we look at here is that in these two kings, what Jesus was saying, he's saying, look, you're a king and I'm a king, but guess who's the stronger one? God, right? So what he's saying here, he's saying, look, won't the one who is outnumbered send a delegation and go for peace? In other words, if I were you, I wouldn't want to battle God. That's, that's not a very, it's not a fair fight. You know, there's kind of this God, he kind of created the heavens and the universe. He created all the stars. He created all this stuff. That's, that's what he created. You know what I created? slime that's what I created I, I created oatmeal like those are the things that I can make God creates trees and oxygen and waves and oh my why? I mean think about that why are you even going to try to fight God why try to do that if I were you I would just come under submission unto the king of kings and the lord of lords so you can live at peace you want to find peace submit your life unto the king of kings come on give the lord a hand of praise listen my friend you cannot be a disciple unless you are willing to give up control of your life to christ you cannot be a disciple unless you are willing to give up control of your life to christ there's a story about a lifeguard that I once read about on a, on a beach who saw a drowning man. He walked into the surf, but he didn't go out to rescue him. People had gathered along the beach, and they started yelling and screaming at the lifeguard to go and rescue the drowning man. The lifeguard waited just a little deeper, and he kept his eye on the drowning man. But the yells and screams of the onlookers didn't motivate him to even swim out there. Just when it seemed like the man was going down for the last time, the lifeguard swam out with strong strokes and grabbed the man and brought him back to the shore. Now, after some spitting and coughing, the, the man was conscious. But rather than hailing this lifeguard as a hero, all the onlookers were angry at the lifeguard and said, You coward! You saw he was drowning. 
Why didn't you go out sooner? The lifeguard patiently explained. He said, you can see that he is a much bigger and stronger man than I am. If I had gone out sooner, he was thrashing and kicking so violently that he would have probably drowned both of us. As long as he was trying to save himself, I can't save him. But when he got tired and he gave up, that's when I knew that I can save him. See, for those of you that are here, you're trying to make it happen on your own. And while you're thrashing and while you're moving, you're saying, God, save me. And he's saying, I can't. You're trying to do it on your own. But you don't understand. I can't do this. I can't. Okay, I'm here. I'm right here. But I need you to give up your life in exchange for mine. Now, this is the great thing, is that the moment you give up and give it to him, you feel salvation. See, that's why you must work out your salvation every day. Every day, you must work out your salvation. Tell your neighbor, every day. Tell your neighbor, every day. See, I love this story because it's a story of surrenderance. And you know what I've learned about working out recently? I've been going to Planet Fitness, and I've been re- I just gave him a plug. There you go. Planetfitness.com. There you go. I've been going to Planet Fitness, and man, I'm going to tell you, as I've been going and as I've been going, I said, man, I feel good. I feel better, right? I was like, I remember the first day. It was kind of hard, but I was determined in my mind. Yeah, yeah, I was feeling good. So I've been going for a few months. Now, this is the crazy thing. We had our softball coming up. Long story short, you're not supposed to work out before you play ball. It's just you're not supposed to do that. Muscle memory messes you up. not supposed to do those kind of things. So I knew that. So I said, okay. I can't mess with the muscles, got to just do the cardio. This is the crazy thing. For the whole week of last week, just last week, I stopped going to the gym. When I stopped going to the gym, can I be honest? My body told me, you stopped going to the gym. Oh, I felt it. I was like, what in the world? This is... No, I know some of you are laughing. A pastor, give me a break. But this is the thing. This is my body. It's not yours. I can't give you, you. You have your own breaks. I got mine. See, that's the thing about salvation. I know some of you, you look at other people going, oh, my gosh, that's all. Give me a break. I'm like, no, 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 no. That, you have your breaks. They have theirs. You have to work out your salvation every day until you must surrender your life every day. I know you surrendered it once at the altar and you came to the altar and you said, God, God, I give you my life. You can have it. But the thing is, you must do that same thing every single day where you wake up and say, okay, God, I'm not going to take over this day. You take full control. I surrender my life to you. This is not mine. This is yours. I surrender my life to you. See, I think the real discipleship that Jesus was saying, when you say, Jesus, I give up and I give you full control. The one thing I love about the surrendering, that you'll see that gesture of putting up your hands, because many of you are here, probably you've been visiting our church, and you see a lot of people lifting their hands. And you're probably looking at a lot of the people lifting their hands, especially at Victory Outreach. they got a lot of tattoos. You'll see a lot of marks over here. And you're probably looking at them and going, oh, my gosh, why are they lifting their hands? Is the police here? What's going on right now? This is crazy because the majority of the time, the only time most people would ever lift their hands is somebody putting a gun to their head, putting a gun to their back, saying, freeze, 
lift your hands. And the reason why is because they want to make sure that you're going to give up your life for what they're about to tell you. You got to stop whatever you're doing, and now you're in my control. What Jesus is saying here, he's saying, look, I'm not going to put a gun to you, but I'm asking you, surrender your life. And trust me, if you make me in control, you're going to have the best life you've ever had in your entire living. Every breath you've ever breathed, this is the greatest you're ever going to have. I'm telling you, once you surrender your life to Christ, it is the greatest life you'll ever have. Surrender your life. The fifth mark and the last mark, and right here I'm done, is the salt mark. The salt mark. Now this was very important because salt in the time of Jesus was very valuable. Salt was very valuable. Matter of fact, Roman soldiers would get paid in salt. That's how precious salt was. That's how they would get paid. The Latin phrase, solarium argentums, is where we actually get our word salary. You get paid a salary. And it's a, a Latin term, solarium argentums, argentums. And it's because that, that's why we even, uh, you may hear this term every now and then. I'm not sure if you, you've heard it before. There's a term where they say, yeah, that person's not even worth their salt. That's what they mean. It's because that's how the soldiers would get paid. They would get paid by salt. And when somebody says they're not even worth their salt, they're saying they're not even worth their wage. They don't have the value. What Jesus is saying here when he talks about this, he's talking about the greatest value of salt was its use in a preservative. Somebody say preservative. They didn't have a way to refrigerate meat. So salt would be applied to fresh meat to prevent the meat from rotting. The salt would created a chemical reaction that slowed down the process of decay it retarded corruption so as an outcome it preserved the goodness of the meat in Matthew chapter 5 Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount you are the salt of the earth now catch this this is very important we live in a corrupting society do we not we live in a society that is decaying practically every single day. If you didn't know that, just watch the news or go on Facebook, and there's your sign. It's there. It's all over. There's corruption. There's decay. There's so many things that are happening all over the world. There's a lot of suffering. And matter of fact, it's so, it, some of this stuff is even disturbing to even talk about. That's how disturbing and decaying our society is. But like salt, when we, when we come into contact with this corrupting culture, our job is to slow down the corruption of this culture, this corruption and the decay. As salt, our job is to preserve the goodness that still exists even in our culture today. See, our culture today is telling children, you can pick your very own sex. If you don't want to be a boy, then be a girl. You don't want to be a girl, be a boy. Be whatever you want to be. Right? Matter of fact, I was reading an article the other day, and I thought it was a joke. Because sometimes you have to watch and see if they're jokes. Come to find out, did a little bit of research, not a joke. 
they're actually, there's a woman that is fighting. I mean, she's fighting tooth and nail for this. She is fighting for any, uh, as, as many hospitals as she can. She wants to get them across the whole nation, pass every single bill to become law. That she wants, when every single child, baby is born, you cannot call it a he or a she. You must call the baby a baby. Now, I know some of you right now, so you're like, oh, my God, what in the world? See, well, that's the decay. Decay should make you have a crazy face. Like, what? I say this because when I start saying these things and you're just, well, that's the way that it is, then there's something starting to corrupt even in you. You're, according to this, you're losing your saltiness. Are you, are you catching this now? You see what Jesus was talking about? Another true story. Another one. This is, this is, it's sickening to me. This happened at a prestigious um, oral forum. In other words, they have a lot of speakers from all over the world. From all over the world, they come and they speak. Things that used to be humorous years ago are starting to become reality today. Jokes that were made on television shows back in the 80s are for real today. Matter of fact, those jokes of the 80s, you can't talk about them today because they're, they're you know, sensitive to people. Sensitive. Wow, you can't call me, you know, the, this word. I'm not that. I'm homosexual. You know, you can't say that word. It was a word that I remember we used to use all the time. You can't say that word anymore. Like certain things. So there was a forum that just went on recently. It was about two years ago. Actually, it was right here in the Bay Area. All right, the Bay Area. We need a slap in the face. Actually, I should say we need salt. A woman started speaking, and she started sharing, and she did it. She was very good in her words. I'm not going to lie. She was very good. It was very convincing to people that have no moral compass. She started talking, and she says, even to say this, she says, we must treat pedophiles just like any other person on this planet they're they're citizens too they just have a different uh, urge that's what she said they have different urges and so we must be able to help them through this whole thing and then, but then she started talking and you're like wait what huh she goes, yeah, and so now we're, see, what we do, and she started comparing murderers and pedophilias that they're, look at, they're, they're nice people. And I just went, what in the world? This is a joke. I know this is a joke. This has got to be a joke. This is definitely a joke. This is, am I watching a joke? This is a joke. It's got to be a joke. Now, the thing about it is that in today's day and age, there's a lot of satire uh, uh, websites. So before I shared this, I looked into it. I'm not giving you anything that was, this is real. This is real. And she started talking. And this is, the, this is the crazy part. People started clapping. Oh, that got me. They were clapping. Yeah, that's true, huh? And the earth, what's, what's wrong with that? You know, what, you know what I heard? I heard in that room, no salt. There was no salt in that room. Nobody to stand up and say, hey, this is wrong. We don't do that stuff over my dead body. 
I don't care. You could cover it up. You could sugarcoat it. But my God is the God of the Bay Area. And as for me and my house, we are going to serve the Lord. What Christ is saying here says, look, if you're going to be a disciple, I need you to have some salt. I need, you, I need you to preserve the culture, the holy culture. I need you to call a man a man and a woman a woman. Can you preserve that? I need you to preserve a boy, a boy, and a girl, a girl. Can you preserve that? Can you keep that sanctified? Or is the culture going to corrupt you? Is the culture just going to dictate your life? See, the problem that Jesus identified is that some people have lost their saltiness. You know what salt experts say? Salt experts say that pure salt never loses its saltiness. Pure salt never loses its saltiness. The salt that was used in Jesus' time, it was mined, and you know where it came from? That salt came from the Dead Sea. So what they would do is when the water evaporated, it left the salt. But the salt was sometimes mixed with other minerals that although it looked like salt and it poured like salt, it wasn't salty. So when it was placed on food, it was tasteless. When it it was applied to fresh meat, the meat began to rot. Look at You right now, you're placed in a place that needs salt. You know what it's called? Your job. Can I go to your job and taste your saltiness, or do I taste the culture? This is a heavy message, right? It's heavy. See, this is very important because some of you, I I need you to catch this because I did this. This happened with me. I went to work. I worked at UPS for a short amount of time, not a long time because I had to make a choice between UPS and ministry. I chose ministry. Thank the Lord. But I worked at UPS, and when I worked at UPS, you know, just because I wanted to fit in, I went in there, and the first job that they give you, if you're going to come right in, uh, you're going to unbox. You're going to get the trailers, and I'm going to tell you, oh, my gosh. Anybody work at UPS? or Okay. Oh, my Lord. They work you. You are worked. So I remember I went there, you know, hey, it's my first time. It's just I don't want to say anything. I'd go in there, and they're bumping. Ain't nothing but a gangster. Okay, but hey, um. You know, you don't want to say nothing because, you know, I don't want to lose my job. I don't want to lose my rep. I don't want to lose my coolness. This is the crazy thing. This is what I learned. By not wanting to lose my coolness, I can lose my salt. Well, it's just the way that it is. Everybody tells dirty jokes. What's the big deal? Everybody, everybody talks about their escapades that they had over the weekend. And I know this guy's married and he's talking about that. I, you know, I haven't told him anything, but maybe his pastor should tell him something. I, don't, I know he goes to church. He kind of goes to church. I'm not sure if he goes to church, but if he went to church, his pastor should tell him he shouldn't be doing that. I'm not, I shouldn't tell him that. Why? You're the salt. And if you're the salt, now believe me, I understand that some situations require more boldness than others. But this is the thing. You're the salt. And if you always think that it's the pastor's job to pour the salt, then, my friend, you're in for a rude awakening. This is why we're going to have decay in our culture. 
and things that are going to come constantly all over and say, man, what is going on? This place is getting more messed up, but that's just the way that it is. We're just accepting it. But I'm here to tell you, listen, my friend, we live in the Bay Area. I understand we live in a liberal area, but I believe that God is raising up men and women that still have their salt. They still can speak up when they need to speak up. They still got boldness when they need to be bold. Don't let the world dictate the holiness and the discipleship of who you are. You are called by God to be the salt of the earth. You're called to be the salt. Jesus said right here, if salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? Now, this is the thing. Back then, they didn't know the process to make the unsalted salt salty again there is a process today there's a process today to get you back salty to that place that you need to be the process that you and I are looking at is that his blood bought you and his blood makes you salty and his word keeps you salty his blood made you salt his word keeps you salt for you and I to understand, to be a disciple, I understand that the, this whole message, even in and of itself, is a tough one. Like, but pastor, you don't understand. Well, you're absolutely right. I don't understand. That's why I said a message like this will empty half of the churches in America. Because half of the churches in America, I just want to come. I just want to lift my hands. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Oh, we're almost done. Okay, good, because I'm done. Man, this salt is just way too much right now. Everybody's just too salty for me. My friend, if too, if too much worship is salty for you, you're losing your saltiness. If too much prayer is too salty for you, you're losing your saltiness. You're losing it. You're losing it. And you got to be honest with yourself. You're losing it. Some of you right now, you got to get that saltiness back. Listen, even when I use that term, I understand the neighborhood. I understand the culture because that, that term salty is in a derogative. It's in a negative term. Oh, he's being salty. Some of you need to start flipping that term back around and say, yeah, you know what? I am salty. Put away that beer right now. Put it away. I've shared with you many a times over and over where I've had my family, I've had my friends, and believe me, my, my family already knows, man, he, here comes Mr. Salty. That's right, I'm salty, and don't drink around me, period. Now, this is the crazy thing. I, I don't even like drink. I have, I have no temptation for drinking whatsoever. I have my own temptations, but I, have, I don't care about drinking whatsoever. So when I say it, I go in there, so I put it away. Oh, my God, here we go, the preacher, man. Exactly, that's right. And if you want me here, that's what you're going to have to do. Put it away. Just like that. Now, I know some of you look at me like, but pastor, man, you bold. You crazy. You, you don't know my family. Well, guess what? You don't know my family. My family's nuts. They're like almond joy nuts. And you want to know the craziest thing? I'm the smallest one in the family. It's the true story. I am, yeah, I am the smallest one of the whole family. Even my cousins and my cousins' cousins are bigger than me. All of them. Boys, girls, all of them. They're all bigger than me. So imagine me, the smallest one, coming in. And I don't even say it anymore, but I used to. I used to walk in and I'd go, <coughs> uh, 
Yeah, is somebody going to put that away? They go, oh, excuse me, Mr. Goody. That's right. That's exactly right. Because the more you keep smoke, smoking around me, the more I'm going to lose my salt. I ain't losing my salt today. I'm not losing my salt. I'm going to keep my fruit and keep my salt. So put it away. Now they already know. They have, they, believe me, they already know. There's no questions asked. They already know. They, oh. I even saw one put it in his pocket one time. Burned a hole. So what? But that's just the way, because I'm, I'm not losing my saltiness because of your coolness, my relevance, your relevance. I'm not going to do that. I'm a disciple. I need to carry this cross, and I'm going to do my best. Listen to me here. I know some of you, you, you go into a lifestyle and into a culture that is out there that seems like, but pastor, this is crazy. Exactly. I know it's crazy. God knows it's crazy, but God gave you the strength to endure their crazy. God gave you the wisdom. God gave you the, the wherewithal to be able to say, you know what? As for me and my house, I'm going to serve the Lord. I am going to die to myself daily. I am a disciple of Jesus Christ. Can I hear an amen? Can I hear an amen? Come on, can I hear an amen? How many disciples do we have here today? Come on, how many disciples do we have here today? Come on, how many disciples do we have here today? If you're a disciple of Christ, give the Lord a hand of praise. Somebody say, I am a disciple. Say, I am a disciple. Tell the person next to you, tell them, I am, you are, I am, you are a disciple. God called us for Victory Outreach to raise disciples in the heart of the bay. Bow your heads with me here today. Father, we thank you for this time. Let not impure behavior, anything mixed, come and allow us to lose our saltiness, God. Let us be men and women that can recognize anything that we may lose in this discipleship process. And if we have, we would get it back. Say, God, I'm called to be a disciple. I am a disciple. And I'm not ashamed of it. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let us have unashamed men, unashamed women. Not perfect. Because we're definitely not perfect. But unashamed. Father, I thank you and I praise you. Now I want to make an altar call for those of you that are here and say, you know what? I know I'm called to be a disciple. I'm not perfect. I don't have it all together. Matter of fact, when people see me, they probably even think I'm weird. They think I'm crazy. Say, how? Look at her. Look at him. They're all messed up. Yeah, we. You may be messed up, but you still got your salt. You still are carrying your cross. You may not be here all the time, but you're a disciple. And so for those of you that even, you come on Sundays, you're here on Sundays and say, Pastor, I'm here. I want to be here every Sunday. But Monday through Saturday, you're still a disciple. You're still a disciple. Even though we may not see you, we may not communicate, you're still a disciple. And if you're here today and you say, you know what, God has called me to be a disciple. God has called me to be a man or a woman, and it's to be a disciple. Church attendance 
doesn't make a disciple, it helps shape a disciple. That's what church attendance does. It doesn't make one, it shapes one. So if you're here today and you're saying, you know what, pastor, I am called to be a disciple. I'm not perfect, but I'm called to be a disciple. I'm striving after God's own heart. I want to be a man. I want to be a woman. I want to be a husband. I want to be a wife. I want to be a son. I want to be a daughter that is a disciple that when people see me, they know without a shadow of a doubt that I am a disciple of Christ. With every head bowed and every eye closed, if that's you here, I want you to stand to your feet, come to this altar, and we're going to pray right now. We're going to believe God right now for something powerful within our hearts, within our minds, our bodies, our souls. To stand to your feet, come to this altar, and stand right here. Surrender your life. Surrender your heart. Working it out every day. Every day. Surrendering. The gesture of surrendering. Knowing that He is the King of Kings. Living at peace with God. Living at peace with God. 